0: welcome to the commentary magazine daily podcast today is friday january 21st 2022 i'm john bonhors the editor of commentary with me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john senior writer christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor noah rothman hi noah hi john um i, I we could do this all day, every day, all week, every week, but the kind of emotional meltdown over American schooling on the part of um, Democrats and school professionals continues apace. Um, We have uh, some very interesting things going on. Uh, As as uh, as we've as we've noted, uh, the newly uh, installed governor of Virginia, uh, Glenn Youngkin, lifted mask mandates at the state level uh, on his first day in office. But the uh, Falls Church uh, public school system—that's that's um, that's a suburb of of DC, part of Arlington County, I believe. Um, Ilya Shapiro, uh, a conservative lawyer, uh, tweeted out that, uh, superintendent Peter Noonan, uh, just said at a board meeting, that kids showing up unmasked on Monday will be sent home. So there, so, uh, Falls Church has decided that, uh, that the state level mandate, uh, that, that was in place and has now been uh, will not apply, uh, to its schools. Uh, there's no, uh, rep, I mean, uh, i guess he's a he's the superintendent which means he's not actually an elected official Uh, he is an appointee of he's an employee um making policy that is opposed to the to the state's um policy which is that uh, people are permitted to wear masks if they if they choose or if their you know parents want them to but um otherwise not so um, that's one very interesting thing. This is also the place that um, closed uh, preemptively uh, because of a terrible as, as much of various places in the Northeast did uh, you know, with the threat of a snowstorm that ended up being uh, rain so um, that, that was that was good. Christine did that happen? In D.C., with school shut? For we rain. had
1: a two hour delay for the rain. Oh, two so hour delay. Just for Just two okay. hours of delay for no reason. Yes. OK,
0: so I'm turning to Nellie Bowles' newsletter uh, on Barry Weiss's common sense uh, substack for uh, a couple of other details here. Uh, she points out that the Wake County, North Carolina Democrats this week put out a cartoon depicting frustrated district parents as a QAnon follower, an anti-vaxxer, a Confederate flag diehard, and a January 6th stormer, and calling them the Board of Education, B-O-R-E-D. Uh, and Nelly writes, facing backlash from critics online, they wrote a sarcastic note thanking people for showing exactly how much the school board has had to deal with, ending with hashtag facts and hashtag truth. When the backlash didn't die down, they deleted the tweets, all of which, all of this carefully documented by Corey DeAngelis, whom you may know from Twitter as a school choice advocate. Uh, Nellie goes on, the Michigan Democratic Party, meanwhile, posted a rant complaining about those people who drive carpool and won't won't stop sending emails, which it also deleted. Not sure where this parent should control what is taught in schools because they are our kids is originating. But parents do have the option to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own desire if this is what they desire. The purpose of a public education in a public school is not to teach kids only what parents want them to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client of the public school is not the parent, but the entire community, the public. Um, you know, this is a, obviously a sort of elaboration of the Terry McAuliffe, uh, you know, parents shouldn't have any say in what, what, what is being taught. Um, but um, this strikes me as uh, the pressure that is being put on is causing a kind of blowback on the part of uh, these institutions and institutionalists and Democratic Party uh, camp followers um, that is kind of startling really i mean uh in its revelatory quality uh that is that they are there they're the pressure that's being put on them is causing them to reveal more and more of themselves uh without any you know without the sort of clever emendations or citations of you know of course we love parents and we're all parents ourselves or whatever
1: well, this is it shows a breakdown in the strategy of you know the Randy Weingarten head of the teachers union types who have access to the elite mainstream media and can get columnists to write you know endless uh, words about how how thoughtful they are about all this how much they care about the children and how much they want to keep schools open even when their actions are diametrically opposed to those things and the evidence is clearly in but for the masking this is really interesting because the the uh, conventional wisdom among the scientific community is very clear now about masking particularly for young children particularly for how much of an outlier the United States has been and continues to be with regard to masking young children and parents are starting to push back on that on, on a lot of these covid things and saying not most parents aren't even saying no mask no restrictions they're saying what's the off ramp what's the end point when does this stop because These institutions and the bureaucrats who run them don't feel they should be accountable to parents and say, well, we'll figure it out. And parents no longer trust them. It's a trust but verify situation for a lot of parents. I include myself in there. When I get a memo about some new COVID protocol, I want to know why can my kid not watch a wrestling, why can't I watch his wrestling meet? in one part of town, but I can in another, just depending on who decides. There's no consistency. Parents are not just confused. They're tired of all these restrictions that make no sense and have no justification. I will say there was another uh, evidence of, of people pushing back. Uh, the Washington Post had an opinion piece whose title says it all. It was this, in catering to selfish parents, Youngkin, the new governor of Virginia, Yunkin is failing Virginia's kids. This was about uh, the mask. Uh, the option not to wear a mask. This is not a you cannot wear a mask. You may wear a mask into a Virginia school. If you're a student, you just cannot be forced to wear one. If your parents have decided that the risk is low for you, which we know scientifically it is for young children.
2: So I, I love the cartoon uh, that John describes, because um, it's very clear evidence to me that they're going to go down in flames because they're continuing to totally underestimate who actually opposes these things. It's not a fringe group of, of various extremists. It's, it's a very large and growing and organized um, and furious, reasonably furious uh, group of parents and those who, and, and those who aren't parents uh, such as myself. And um, if there wasn't evidence enough of this in, in the Virginia election itself, uh, there will be further evidence coming down the line. The, uh,
3: the the outsized reaction to Yunkins, you know, uh, introducing choice into the equation from the political left is very instructive because it's if if you share a mentality, that's everything that's not forbidden is mandatory. The corollary is everything that's not mandatory is forbidden. Right. So they assume that essentially you're 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 some people actually even intimated that there would be some sort of a policing effort here to to rip masks off children's faces as though that was that was on offer. Um, it's not just that, you know, we talked about this yesterday, Joe Biden's fake statistics, 95, 98% of schools open, what have you. This is an experience that parents intuitively understand everywhere in this country, because we all experienced it and still continue to experience it in much of the country, that an open school that is nevertheless remote or imposes restrictions on your children's ability to socialize, like, for example, not being able to talk in a lunchroom, which is re- really common. Um is not an that quality educational experience. So you can tell these parents that schools are open all you want. That is not their experience. You're telling them essentially, you're gaslighting them. You're telling them that their, their lived experience isn't real. They should defer to some sort of an invented statistic that um, it applies to much of the country. And basically the Democratic Party's message to parents is what's your problem?
0: You know, the, there's a two-pronged attack here, which is one of the reasons why the attack is so effective. One is, you are keeping these schools closed. You are uh, hampering uh, my child's development, moral, social, educational development. You are uh, making my life incredibly different. I am a taxpayer. I am paying thousands of dollars a year in property taxes to support this system that is now failing me. I am the client. I am the consumer. I am a I am a local taxpayer paying property taxes to or to operate these schools. And what I keep discovering is that when you are teaching my kids, you're teaching them crap. So it's not just that the schools are closed, and if they were open, everything would be fine. When the schools open or when they are remote or whatever it is, you are pouring things into my child's ear that are deeply offensive to me. Remember, we're talking, we're not talking about parents from the 1940s or the 1920s who, you know, when they were in school, they read Shakespeare and they read, you know, they they learned Horace's odes in Latin, whatever. We are talking about parents you know, you guys, you're I mean, I, I'm I'm also a teenage a parent of teenage kids, but I mean, you're you guys are, you know, 40 in your mid 40s. You've got kids. You're pretty well educated. But you went through schooling in the 80s and 90s and teen and and aughts. Public school education was not good. Public things had already fallen to pieces. These are not people who are coming at this with highbrow. Harvard educations, so what they're learning is that what kids are being taught is political propaganda uh, and, and, uh, and, and that white kids are being told that they're privileged and evil and, and that America stinks and stuff like that. And it's very vulgar and blatant in a new kind of way, or it's gotten more vulgar, more blatant, less, less hidden behind euphemisms and that sort of thing and they don't like it and they don't want their kids to be taught this stuff in part because this isn't the sort of thing where you can say look you don't know what you're talking about. you know you you don't know uh, physics you don't know geometry leave that to the experts but wh- what america is like is not a subject that requires an advanced degree Or any or, you know, or like a degree in education from, you know, uh, Pascuaxi State, you know, a two year, a two year certification in how to create a lesson plan like thats That doesn't make you any more expert in what America is like than any individual citizen is.
1: I think there's also, though, a a broad group of parents who might actually not object to mild indoctrination on about American history. They would think to themselves, oh, you know, I'm kind of a moderately left of center Democrat. And I think our country should learn about its past and including all the bad stuff. And maybe my kids were like, that's fine. But actually, so even setting that aside, what they're not getting. But that only comes as an extra. That's icing on the cake. The cake is the basics of reading, writing, math, all the kind of analysis, comprehension, the basic skills that... Public education has made a social contract with parents and says it will deliver that is backed up by the force of law. You are not allowed to not educate your child. You have to put your kid in school. That's law. Now, you can choose to do it at home yourself if you have that luxury. You can choose to send them to private school if you don't like the public schools, if you can afford it. But it, for the vast majority of parents in this country, those two things aren't options because they work and they can't afford their private schools. So if you send your kid to a public school because you have to and they can't, they're not, they're coming home unable to read and write and unable to do basic math and spouting all this nonsense, the nonsense is the thing that has to go. And I think that's why you did see a lot of moderate, you know, previously Biden voters putting Yunk in an office in Virginia because their kids aren't even learning the basics. They're only getting the ideological nonsense or they're getting a lot of that. And I know we have teachers as listeners and they do often write angry notes about how this is unfair. This isn't going on, this isn't going on in my school. But in the largest school districts that are dominated by unions and and more blue state voters, this is going on. It's happening all the time. I see it every day in my kids stuff. My kid just had to take a test on the 1619 project curriculum. This stuff is there. So great. If you live in an area where it's not happening, that's terrific. And I'm glad you're one of those teachers who's not participating. But parents want their kids to learn the basic skills that they should graduate from high school having. And they're not getting those.
3: Yeah, I lack a lot of sympathy for that.
2: I'm sorry. Continue. I just want to say just very directly to Christine's point, the ideological nonsense cuts directly into the basics uh, oftentimes. Right. There was an effort in California uh, to have the the state schools in when teaching certain math classes, um, privilege um, sort of like uh, equitable understanding and 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 grades um, over actual learning, right? So, so the, the idea being that it d- didn't matter if you understood the math, um, you, there, just as long as the the results of of the, of the lessons and tests didn't produce some sort of um, hierarchy of grades.
3: Right? And I, I, as I was saying earlier, I lack sympathy for that message. Um, we, everybody in this room, understands that primary secondary education is invaluable. It's a noble profession. Don't shoot the messenger. We are not the problem. (laughs) This is your industry. These are your colleagues. If you object as we do to these circumstances, it is your obligation to impose some rigorous rigorous standards on your colleagues and your profession, not ours.
0: And there are teachers who fight back. I mean, there, there are teachers who agree with us. I, I, look you know it, let's even move beyond the academic to the sort of uh social uh aspect because um what we're hearing is not that you know we are hearing all sorts of things about uh, things about bad educational outcomes over the last couple of years and kids falling behind and all of that and i'm not uh, that that's a that's a very large subject and 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 obviously very distressing but it is the psychological malformation of kids as a result of almost now two years of, um, of uh, being told that um, they are carriers of disease. They must not get close to other people because they, the other people are are potential carriers of disease. They are vectors of illness. Um, social interaction is bad. It's unhealthy. It's dangerous. It's actually possibly fatal to old people to grandparents to immunocompromised people that sort of thing kids need each other like they need oxygen kids need a social life like they need oxygen many kids need sports like they need oxygen for kids who are not of an intellectual frame of which there are many and kids who have to go to school nonetheless but really don't you know, for, wh- for whom education is a struggle, let's say, but what they, what they can find is pleasure in not only socializing, but in physical activity, physical efforts, um, uh, even vocational stuff. Well, you can't do that. Not only when schools are closed, but when schools are open, collaborative projects, you know, uh, on, you know, in, 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 in vocational aspects, sports, which were, you know, shut down for a year or more. Um, this is very real and when people complain about it to have to be insulted for saying this is bad the answer isn't it's not bad or you're all crazy lunatics is this is the worst thing that's ever happened and we've done it this way because we don't know any other way to do it we had to take these measures. It was so dangerous, so dangerous to so many people. Um, and, uh, and that message worked for I would, you know worked for the better part of a year, really. I mean, if you think about when the parents revolt really started, it was about a year after uh, the shutdowns in March of 2020. And it was like, we were, we did this for a year, and you have nothing to say to us about when this is going to end. And when we come and talk to you about it, you shut off the mics, you make fun of us on your Zooms, you try to get us arrested. Something fishy is going on here. This is not the normal reaction to a completely legitimate complaint. What do people say, you know, empathically under these circumstances? As I say, it would be, you're right, this is terrible. The alternative would have been worse. But after a year, parents said... The alternative won't be worse. This is worse. This turns out to be worse. Do something. And then they, then they uh, circle the wagons and they go on the attack against parents.
1: Well, and in Um, other countries, other countries have already started assessing those decisions, especially pre vaccination decisions about closing and shuttering businesses and schools and in Israel, there was a prominent public health official just this past week who said you know what that was the biggest mistake we made closing the schools was the biggest mistake we made looking back on our, some of our pandemic policies, it is possible for these public officials to actually acknowledge exactly what you said, John, and the fact that they won't, it's really fascinating because it, it extends well beyond pandemic issues. There is a, a a kind of conceit they have that they are smarter than the people whose children they are educating. And you see it in, in that op-ed that I mentioned, whose title I mentioned, where she's like, You know, yeah, I get that some parents really need to send their kids to school, but, you know, they don't understand the details of how science, the science of pandemics works. And so we have to tell them and they have to comply. You see it in the in the fact that when Florida is passing uh, regulations or considering regulations to require schools to post curriculum so that parents can see what their kids are actually learning in classes. That this is called some sort of horrific, you know, breach and violation of privacy. I mean, this is ridiculous. Parents should know what their kids free are. Free speech I, advocates. Free I believe speech what advocates. A, what Reuters
0: yeah. said was that free speech advocates in it's, in it's Florida dangerous. worried about about the public finding out what is in the lesson plans. Yeah. And what is in the curriculum? Free speech advocates.
1: Right. Well, we know where our free speech advocates have been headed in recent years. So that. It's not a surprise if you've been following the, the corruption of the idea of free speech among the organizations that claim to champion it, but that all of it is of a piece. All of it is, again, it goes to a lot of the discussion we have on this podcast about elite institutions or even just, just kind of bureaucratic. Uh, this is not just bureaucratic uh, sclerosis. This is bureaucratic hubris of a level that many parents didn't realize was there. And now it's been exposed and there's no going back.
0: Um, I don't want, you know, uh, because uh, because this is uh, turning into the Nellie Bowles show, because I think this is an interesting another thing that she had in uh, eye opening thing she had in her newsletter that I hadn't seen somewhere else. Speaking of elites and their and what they're what they're up to and the corruption and monstrousness with which certain types of, of leftist elites are, are seizing on the opportunity to remake American society and American and 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 the high high water spaces, not just, you know, sort of everyday public schools, uh, Bard College, which is a famous, uh, you know, very liberal institution in Westchester County, um, Bard College has uh, engaged uh, a team of people to go through the Bard library to decanonize the the Bard library, meaning they're going to go through, they're going to find books by white people, and they're going to throw them away. By the hundreds or thousands, they are literally attempting the, what is a library, right? I mean, the thing about a library and old books is increasingly, yes, you can get books on on Amazon, use books and all of this, but um, uh, a, a library is a giant building that has a lot of books and the older, the better, as long as they can be maintained because these, these then become uh, precious documents that you can't get anywhere else. If you could get them on your Kindle, it would be much less important. And um, uh, history, uh, this is you know, literal Stalin. They are going to go through and take an eraser and try to erase books from the core of knowledge that could be accessed by students at at Bard College. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary step, and um, I, 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 I was I'm kind of uh, gobsmacked because. Um, but see, this it doesn't is, cost the, anything to keep a book on the shelf,
1: but this right? should, maybe it
0: costs the, something if you have to build more bookcases because you don't have enough bookcases, but oh. You know, Anyway, but there, th-
1: this is but this is an example of how the, the shift has happened. There's been an acceleration trend in the, in recent years because a lot of libraries, particularly uh, libraries on college campuses, have been getting rid of a lot of old classics. And the argument is there really isn't space. We have to put all this new all the new stuff has to have room. And we have to also remove shelves to make space for computers and, and whatnot. That's actually been quietly going on both in high school and college libraries for about a decade. But now they feel emboldened to call it a diversity audit, that's what it was called, a diversity audit. We're going to look at every book and make sure it represents what we think diversity should look like in something that was written 100, 200, 300 years ago and if it doesn't suit our present mindedness we will chuck it. They're embracing that as a positive goal whereas before I think it was a lot more sort of they would make excuses for why they were getting rid of a lot of the canon and space on the shelves for it by claiming, "Oh, well we got to be 21st century, move into the times we don't have. We literally don't have the room." Now they're like, "Screw those excuses. This is why we want to do this. We don't think these books belong here."
0: But then let, let's talk let's talk about what happens when you when you shine sunlight on these moves because again in Nellie's Nellie's newsletter, uh, the process of decanonization, which is going to be led by three students, uh, take a year evaluating each book for representations of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, and ability. Um, when, uh, when, uh, Nellie called them to ask about the announcement, Bard officials explained this was all a big misunderstanding. It, uh, Nothing. Uh, nothing about the effort should be taken literally. It will help us understand and answer questions about representation in our collections and build a more inclusive collection going forward. Wrote Betsy Colley, the director of Bard Libraries. Nothing is being removed, recategorized, or replaced. And then um, uh, after that happened, uh, they removed they they removed the uh, the uh, new Bard newsletter uh, entry uh and uh, deleted it entirely because what (laughs) was uh this is a college and they were talking about basically taking books off the shelves and throwing them away and uh one once you sort of like expose a move like that in this way somebody's gonna say don't what do you do don't do that or let's let's you know let's we'll do it in quiet why are you announcing it are you crazy like you know, uh, you know it's not we're we're supposed to be a we're repository of knowledge. Uh, this does, this is, this is a bad look. So I I think I thought that was that that's pretty interesting. And this keeps happening. Where, for example, a lot of the moves in California, light shone on the moves in California, both at the both at the state level, the university level, and and at the at, in the curriculum in in. In elementary and secondary schools has been um, retarded by 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 the onslaught of horror expressed at stuff like the math, you know, uh, geometry being math being race based or, you know, treating somehow a differential in the hardest, it's not even a hard science. I don't even know what you call it. It's like uh, acts of measurement of reality. There are acts of measurement of, you know, uh, iron laws of the very fabric of the universe um, that somehow uh, can somehow be be viewed with a with a racial. Uh, if tense, you
3: survey which- the, uh, the public <clears throat> pronouncements of organizations like the American Library Association or the School Library Journal, uh, a lot of time has, over the course of years, um, has been devoted to contextualizing classics and finding a proper place for the classics uh, because they <clears throat> violate modern uh, pieties, up to and including where there's this big thing a couple of years ago about how Shakespeare was problematic. So it has to be removed or uh, you know maybe ad- uh, adulterated in order to comport with uh, current sentiments, get rid of all you know that nasty, uh, uh, sexism and and racism and what have you, that's in these things that is in a lot of classic works, literally adopting the cause of Dr. Bodler it just in a, a perfectly, you know, a, an inverse uh, idea of it. But nevertheless, you know, these are these are works that are there's not there was one quote that I, I can't remember who said it. I have it in my book about a guy who said, you know, there's nothing in these works that you can't get from more modern works, more diverse authors uh, and, you know, goes down the line. And all this stuff has been building up for years and years. And then all of a sudden, a school district. Or, or let's say the, uh, the uh, institution that manages Dr. Seuss's works says, you know, we're going to get rid of this. And there's a huge outcry, right? I mean, that was a big news cycle about a year ago now. Uh, but if you go through the intellectual uh, lattice work that was built up around that move, it goes back for years. And there's academic texts around it. And there's a lot of uh, justification for that sort of thing within the industry itself. The industry itself is very insular. And they only talk amongst themselves. And then their prescriptions are applied in the real world. And they find out that people are really hostile towards it. And it comes as a real shock because they've never solicited input from anybody about this sort of thing, which is part of, part of the reason why that Dr. Seuss thing happens so fast, because I think in a in a subconscious way, they know that they're going to offend the sensibilities of people who aren't as dogmatic and ideological as them. So it all has to happen really fast because otherwise it won't happen at all.
0: But they don't know that it has that. Right. Well, but right. You're right. I mean, I mean, that's a very good summary of a sort of sociological phenomenon, which is, um, you know, these uh, these explorations of how we do things and how to revise the way things are done. Um, you know, in a in a kind of um, in the world of people who go to conferences and have panels and 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 breakout sessions and things like that that try to come up with action items on how to solve problems that really you know have come up uh, you know in 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 the course of our lives and how to, how to harmonize uh, social justice concerns with uh, you know with the things that we do. And uh, follow-up panels, discussions, b- more breakout groups, papers in peer-reviewed journals, and all of this. And so, yeah, right. So it's five years later, uh, you bring two thousand pages of evidence and two thousand pages of argument to the Dr. Seuss, uh, you know, d- legacy, what you know, estate, and they say, "Ooh, that's terrible." I guess we, you know, obviously, the academic consensus is that we need to, we need to ban this stuff. And no conversation in there is being held with any actual human being who isn't a robot of this new class uh, system of internal bubble communication. Um,
2: yet, yet, they the the proponents of these things then argue. Um, as exhibited in one of the quotes that you read at the start of the podcast, that what's being done is being done for the good of society. This is that this is a collective understanding of how things should be, uh, that if you object, you're just in the minority. The larger picture here is one of uh, sort of organized agreement against you. And it's not true.
3: So society demands a, uh, a watered-down educational experience. Society demands uh, that we sacrifice the classics and, and and the enrichment that they provide young people. Society demands that young people lose a year of their life, lose socialization. Society demands child sacrifice. Talk about well, talismanic. Society,
0: that's the society, customer- I mean, uh, society demands that the concerns of the adults in the school system take precedence over the concerns of the children in the school system. Uh, are teachers tired? Is it hard for them to get to school? It's, there's gonna be snow. Uh, they could really use a development day. Uh, they're really worried about getting sick. Um, and these conversations take place almost without reference to the people for whom the system exists.
1: There's also another theme here that I think is pretty common, has been common uh, among those who want to, who claim for themselves the role of the vanguard, showing society, leading society into its more progressive, more, more open and tolerant future. And that's that the vanguard is always the left who want to destroy this stuff, right? And anyone who objects is just, you know, a, a Neanderthal. But the problem comes in a democracy when, as we've mentioned many times. People have a right to speak out and and they do it with their vote. They do it with protesting at school board meetings. And there, I I honestly think it has, as Noah said, I think some of these people are shocked when they hear from regular people that this isn't what they want. They don't think this is a, an improvement on where we're headed. It's 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 falling back into kind of racial essentialism and and ideological posturing in a way that's harmful to their kids. They are genuinely shocked because they're always they always perceive themselves as the vanguard. So the Bard College is interesting. I I bet you anything, tuition at that place is north of fifty thousand dollars a year for those 57, students. Fifty-seven, eight. Okay, there you go. So these are elite people. These are these are very privileged people. And their idea is they they really do see themselves as a kind of Brahmin class that's going to lead the masses to to, to a healthier, more inclusive future. When the masses rebel, the masses must be stupid or they must be violent or they must be uh, authoritarian or against democracy. This is the language that is being used. And I do think it's going to be there. There's a tale to this that's going to be much uh, it's going to go beyond the the midterm elections and the next presidential election. This is not the way a healthy democracy talks about people with whom they disagree.
0: I mean, I think it, to to sort of summarize this uh, aspect um, of of the conversation, um, uh, elites and look, we're 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 elites, you know. I mean subscribe to commentary, listen to this podcast, you are probably a member of the elites. That doesn't mean this membership uh, confers no privileges, uh, actually. But I mean, that what happens is that uh, elites are hearing from ordinary people uh, that their solutions and that their uh, brilliant plans are directly harming them and their children and their response is to say you are a fascist evil lunatic and um maybe it works in the sense that um that message is very easily heard by people who share their predilections and so the, the effect of the, of the rage that is incurred by their response is delayed uh, because they, 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 they still are being, what they hear in the foreground are the people who agree with them. And then as I keep saying, uh, just as people at work who are forced into re-education sessions and things like that, if you do that, uh, you make it hard, you know, they'll vote with their feet. If it's if it's uh, if they have an opportunity to change jobs, they'll change jobs to they'll move somewhere else where where stuff like this happens less or in the end, they will vote at the ballot box. They will go into the that's why we have a secret ballot and that's where they're going to express themselves. The thing about a lot of the public stuff and particularly with public education is everybody who manages a public school in the United States is ultimately an elected official school boards are elected. Uh, uh, state and local you know, mayors and governors who have control of these things, or county executives, are are elected. We have been waiting. Uh, this is part of the point that Christine made in her piece on the parents' revolt. We have been waiting for forty years since, uh, so I would say, or more than forty years, maybe fifty years, since the dawn of the the beginning of the voucher school choice movement into the nation at risk, revealing that our educational system was bad for there to be some kind of a populist revolt against the way education is is done in the United States. And it was waylaid. Uh, When An Agent at Risk came out, the report that showed that our educational outcomes were vastly inferior to other countries, what happened was that the educational establishment rather cleverly hijacked it, said it's not our fault. The problem is we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough equipment. Our teachers are spending their own money getting uh, oak tag and pens and, you know, buying supplies because the schools are so short and we need to pay them more. And so uh, there was a vast increase in the amount of money spent on public education, uh, enormous increases in salary uh, for teachers and master teeth, all this and that and the other thing. And and that was a generation's work was, okay. we're going to answer this by throwing money at it. And we threw money at it, and it didn't work. Uh, and not only didn't it work; it's obviously clearly emboldened the educational class—not just teachers, but everybody else who works in education—to believe that uh, they're still under, they still use the same logic. They're still underpaid. Uh, they're still under too much pressure. It's not fair. These are people who get two months off every year, unlike everybody else in America. They get eight weeks, <laughs> nine weeks of vacation. And and it's not fair, and everything is terrible, and we need to heed them because they are they are, and the this is it. The wa- they've hit the wall. They have awakened the beast. They got forty extra years of, uh, you know, uh, forty years of a kind of gold rush effect, and it's now come crashing to a halt. And when people's privileges start getting taken away from them, when they start losing uh, public you know, sort of like public support, public praise, when they become the object of anger and rage and are accused of malfeasance and mistreatment of the youth of America and all of that, like they're going to be, this is a, this is a decade long, this is, this is not stopping. The fight against them isn't going to stop. They have, they have nothing, they have nothing on offer to quiet the anger and uh, and 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 the 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 you know it's not a beast i don't know what it is the um you know uh the righteous blowback has uh, has awakened
1: i'd call it simmering rage these people got me to attend a protest which i vowed never to ever do my <laughs> entire adult life that's how that's how mad it got some people. that is
0: bad that is bad <laughs> that is bad well listen it listen everybody uh, let me just talk to you about bambi when running a business hr issues can kill you uh you know Minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, wrongful termination suits, it's hard. HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of 70000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E, was created specifically for small businesses to provide a dedicated HR manager. Maintain your compliance, craft HR policy, all for just 99 bucks a month. With Bambi, change your HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. That dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. He will help you customize your policies to fit your business from onboarding to terminations. help you manage your employees day-to-day all for just $99 a month. And that's month to month, no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E dot com slash commentary spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary. Um, I'm not sure where to go now. Uh we're all pretty uh, exhausted from the weeks uh, from dealing with uh every single thing Biden t- has said on Wednesday. Um so I'm wondering whether uh I mean is there anything else to say about Russia? They're 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 having high-level meetings, you know, Blinken's meeting with the Russians again and uh you know, ooh yeah, I don't yeah, know. The, I mean, the, the latest development is they're going to provide the the White House, which had previously
3: said that they wouldn't do this, is going to provide in writing uh, responses to the Russian demands. Um, there's a lot of kabuki there, and I don't actually know where it's going or what the point of this is. There's quite a lot of delay, but uh, on both the, the part of the West, which is dithering in the effort to... Um, to deter this attack, with the notable exception of London. London has been flying quite a lot of offensive rep- weaponry into the country, and the Biden administration did something, something good yesterday, where they uh, allowed uh, the Baltic states to export American offensive weaponry into Ukraine. All the better, um, you know, more deterrence the better, and Putin's delays are perhaps complicating his ambitions, perhaps, but I'd be surprised. Um, but yesterday, Joe Biden was asked a question by a reporter um, which was a good question, which is, why are you waiting for Putin to move first before raising the stakes of this prospective adventure to unreasonable levels? And he, uh, according to a pool report, said under his breath, what a stupid question. It's not a stupid question. It's the foundational question of any, any practitioner of statecraft who's trying to deter an adversary from engaging in a course of action you don't want them to do. You move first. You raise the costs. That's essential and basic. And Joe Biden's um, hostility here mirrors what we began to see in in you know the second half of hour two of that press conference, where anybody would probably get a little peevish. But he's you know very defensive when he's challenged, uh, and he should be challenged on what could be an, an existential crisis for the West. Very underestimated the the prospects for disaster here if if Putin were to move in in a broad, large way into Ukraine. Um, But his hostility towards people who are questioning his his behavior here is mirrors the Democratic Party's problem more broadly, is that they they resent the idea that they should be beholden to uh, a, a skeptical public that you should just shut up. They know what they're doing. You certainly don't.
0: Really? They know what they're doing.
3: Of course they don't, but they think they do.
0: Joe Biden what does thinks he, he think does. they're doing that's what i can't figure out that's why it's that's why yeah i mean he said what a stupid question but does he know what he's doing i mean the whole point about his answer was that he was like look he, it's up to him he's the decision maker he'll decide what to do my guess is he'll go in but ooh, their sanctions are going to be tough but you know he hasn't made up his mind yet but he'll probably go in but he hasn't It's really a difficult situation because the sanctions are going to be really hard. And, you know, NATO, people say that NATO is divided, but NATO isn't really divided, except NATO is kind of divided. It's really kind of divided. And I, you know, I'm not sure Finland, Finland's with us. So that's good. I spoke to the the guy in Finland. Um, um, He doesn't know what to do. That's why he doesn't like the question. It's not that he knows what to do and you should shut up. It's that he doesn't know what to do and you should shut up because he doesn't know what the hell to answer you. He doesn't know what to say. I mean, I think it's sort of like, what are you cornering me for? I'm totally at sea here. You know, uh, nobody's, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And you know what? Britain's good, but Boris Johnson's about to be defenestrated for having gone to a garden party when... They were arresting people for having more than one person over at their house. How did he do that? How could that happen? I mean, this is actually, I think, why. Not totally going off the topic. Why people I knew when Boris was, you know, charging forward were like, "This is not people who knew him, who've known him since college, who've, you know, who, who even sort of enjoy him, like, you know, they were like." this is going to be a disaster eventually eventually boris will be boris and this will be a disaster and that's actually what's what what we're seeing happen right now it's kind of uh, it's kind of startling nobody told him that it was bad to have a gathering when his own he had promulgated a policy that said that people couldn't have anybody over to their house
1: but this, this is a new thing among again, and I'm gonna not I'm gonna paint with broad brushstrokes here, but we hear this kind of line of reasoning from Biden himself all the time. It's like, well, we we didn't really know. We we wouldn't really know the whole point of having that amount of concentrated power given to you by the people is that you're supposed to know. You're not only supposed to know what's going on today and tomorrow, but like a year from now, you're supp- you're supposed to know, you're supposed to surround yourself with competent people who also make it their job every day to get up every morning and think. What do I need to know? What am I supposed to know? What do I need to do? That's actually what a, a functioning bureaucracy is supposed to make happen. And it's it's another example of how when things don't work, nobody wants to take responsibility. Instead, they say, well, I just was misinformed or how dare someone not inform me of this.
3: This whole scandal is actually quite instructive. If the audience doesn't know, <clears throat> um, Boris Johnson is in a lot of hot water because in, uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, his cabinet held a, a party where there were email records talking about how, you know, if you should come and you should bring your own booze. And like John said, this was at the height of lockdowns and they were literally people, people were forcing each other into the streets and you had to stay six feet apart from one person if you were to ever venture outside. It was the qu- really the
1: queen couldn't have mortars really at her husband's funeral right. by so, these rules.
3: So the backlash, a deserved backlash, is against the hypocrisy of it all not the irresponsibility of it all, not the threat to public health of it all, not the assault on uh, you know, our, our, our very necessary intervention to mitigate this disease, just the fact that you were doing something that you weren't allowing other people to do, the hypocrisy of it, and it's, it's a real political scandal. And then when the political scandal erupted, what happened to the mitigation measures? They went away, overnight. So, okay, well, I guess nobody needs to do this anymore because nobody needs to do this anymore. And they never did.
0: I mean, I still think you can't quite say that they never did. Um, I think what happened was that policies were promulgated on the basis of a certain type of uh, social view of, of of human behavior that is uh, deeply offensive, which is that and you have to promulgate constant, a very extreme set of measures because people aren't going to comply with them. So you 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 try to figure out how you can make them feel guilty and make bad, and so that they will do as much, they will, they will, they will do as much as they can, um, and, uh, Liana Wynn, one of the COVID hysterics who writes for the Washington Post said, uh, you know, look, it would be okay if, pe- theoretically, it would be okay if people who are triple, who are vaxxed, boosted, and got, and got Omicron, or got COVID, took off their masks but um we can't trust that other people who are unvaccinated won't take off their masks also it's like who who are you zinoviev like what who 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 died (laughs) who died and and made you like you know this is a this is a self-governing we have a self-governing citizenry we are not ruled by doctors who think that people are irresponsible and evil if we believe that people are irresponsible and evil we have the wrong system actually um and so you know go go find you know go find yourself a nice fascist regime where you can fit in much more readily than you can here uh, or you know do what you can to impose one here but it is kind of startling and and that that whole thing where you know it's like this by the way and. It's like the, the great hypocrisies of, of of history, you know, that uh, you have in wartime, you know, you have a nation have uh, calls for sacrifice, a nation starving and all of that uh, generals calling for troops to, you know, go over the hill and be killed. They're not they're not going over the hill. They're in the back. They're eating. You know, they have they have people serving them food. The you know, the you know, people are people are, are rationed, but parliament isn't rationed, you know they're they, they get everything they want it's a classic problem of 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 places in crisis where the the leadership class does not suffer the same indignities and difficulties and sacrifices that they require of everybody else and when that stuff comes out when it happens when people find out about it um you know during the when, when you have like uh Harry Truman's political career was made because he just he 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 ran a, you know ended up becoming vice president and then president because he ran a commission studying uh, military um, requisitioning and uh, you know basically who was stealing during during World War II who was stealing from the public coffers and you know hijacking goods and selling them on the black market and all of that uh, same thing happened in the Civil War famous commission by Benjamin Rush. These things like this enrages people more than anything else on Earth, because, of course, they are being asked to sacrifice and they're happy to sacrifice because they want good things. And then it turns out that people are profiting off that. This, This is emotionally the same thing. It's like that guy, the head of Britain's COVID response, who was promulgating all these policies and then going to visit his girlfriend right? Yeah,
3: I still maintain that really unnecessary. I mean, we definitely tr- tried to save the lives of, of the elderly and the infirmed uh, by inserting COVID positive people into uh, nursing homes and killing them <laughs> by the tens of thousands. Yeah, we did a great job there. No, I'm sorry to Nonsense, trash. Right to and now, in, in, we're, uh, we're watching, and I saw a video yesterday of a nine-year-old girl being arrested by the New York uh, Police Department for trying to access a museum. She's trying to go into a museum. She was arrested because she didn't have a vaccine card because a nine-year-old unvaccinated person somehow is a threat to you, unarticulatable threat to you. We can't even d- identify it, but it's just it, just for, for everybody's own sake. I watched another video yesterday of, of a speech that was most likely written for a young girl by her parents, but it was an eloquent speech. It was delivered before a school board discussing all the ways in which this paranoia, this manic fear on the part of adults had robbed her of her childhood. And these people, Will grow up and they will vote and what will they vote themselves i have to wonder that is, and i don't that think that question. it's going to be the kind of authoritarian uh impulse this far-left progressive impulse to control the lives of others that that's the lesson they're going to take away that we need to be more strict more severe i don't think
0: so what what's important about the political consequences of crises is that they do not follow Comprehensible, coherent, straight line. We have no idea how this is gonna how this is gonna break or how it will break. Just like we didn't know that Trump was going to be the inevitable result of the meltdown of two thousand eight, but he was in very complicated ways. If you had said in two thousand nine we were going to end up with a you know with Trump, like people would have thought you were crazy. I have no idea what this is going to mean for our future. What you say now is very profound, and it's generational in its effect. Distrust, uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of um, of hostility toward authority, I would guess. Um, uh, and 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 the fact that parent, the fact that they, the authority figures who will help lead that as this goes on more and more are their own parents who are who are themselves going to say that we were sold a bill of goods or we were, you know, uh, we were, we were immiserated and, 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 um, uh, denied and all this for, for, for nothing. Cause they didn't know what they were doing. And then they didn't know how to get out of it once they were in it. Who knows, who knows what the political effects are going to be, but they're going to be massive and they're going to be, they're going to, it's going to be one of the defining, one of the defining things
2: of the next 25 years. And we're, we're talking at the very beginning. We're we're talking about what's going to be the result of this combination of COVID restrictions and the ideological restrictions and indoctrination. I mean, you know, this is this is a generation that will have grown up both physically and uh, uh, sort of um, educationally restricted and moralized at and scolded. Um, so this is this is um, th- it's hard to even think of something analogous in modern American history. Right. It's hard to think of anything analogous in history,
0: except maybe the Depression. I mean, the Depression lasted a lot longer and the Depression it wasn't the, the the a lot of the response uh, to the Depression was uh, a much larger fight than we realized because history, you know, uh, between uh, the very radical efforts by the first FDR term to, uh, you know, uh, basically control the American economy from the top down um, in a way that in a way that is actually quite modern, but was so startling in 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 the 1930s, so far reaching, so new um, that, you know, uh, you needed all of this. There was this blowback, even though even though. Uh, Roosevelt won, you know, forty-six states in uh, in, in nineteen thirty-six. You know, there was the Supreme Court packing. There was the Supreme Court finding the uh, National Recovery Administration unconstitutional uh, because it was federalizing state. Was it was doing all kinds of things that it did not have the right to do, and and um, and and there was blowback, but it was not populist blowback. It was actually elite blowback. Uh, this is entirely reversed and we're gonna see what we'll, we're gonna see what the consequences are generally speaking populist blowback um, you know has a has an emergency triage quality to it and there could be some very unpleasant aspects to it you know not good ones, bad ones conspiracy theories uh, uh, you know vastly more complicated and vastly and less easy to discredit than look, the major conspiracy theory is true, right, is almost certainly true, which is that China probably originated the vaccine and released it uh, uh, almost certainly, I think, you know, inadvertently the from the lab. But we are we're not even, allowed, you know, the fact that we can't have that open conversation, Biden kind of double talked it at the press conference, um, means that 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 theory You know we're only at the very beginning, and then the question is: We're going to say a million Americans died from this. China let it go. We're just we're just we're just going to stand there and let this happen. God only knows what happens when that becomes a major political issue in 2024, and it could. Much of the election in 2024, if someone handles it right, could could revolve. I don't think that's Trump, by the way, but could revolve around. What are we going to do about China? It killed a million people. It killed a million Americans. And we're sitting here making new trade deals with them? Letting them, you know, having our American businesses kowtow to them, having the owner of the San Francisco Warriors say nobody cares about the Uyghurs. This is actually what we're gonna, this is where we're going. I don't know. It's uh it's gonna be very interesting to see. And that's the and the parents' revolt is the first, is the first way you know it's I don't know it's the first uh wave let's say and it's there'll be 40 waves after it so thank you very much for listening have a great weekend uh it's freezing where we are so we're I don't know we're not going to have that great a weekend freezing but you know we also have worse COVID restrictions than you do so you go out and enjoy where you're warm and, and have fun and and pity us for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Potthar, Keep the Camel Park.